tuned in to the Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cat Podcast. Don't panic. Stacy LeBaron is right here for the episode. Say hi to everyone, Stacy. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Phillips of UrbanCatLeague.org, and Stacy took me up on my request to interview her for her own podcast. If you're a new listener to the podcast, the regular host, Stacy LeBaron, has been involved working with community cats approaching 30 years now with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of her podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats as Stacy helps us learn how we can turn our passion for cats into action. I wasn't trying to age you there, Stacy, but it has been almost 30 years now, right? Yes, it has, unfortunately. <laughs> Now, of course, you've already done those terrific Ask Stacy episodes with Lisa Finkel as host. So I'm honored to try to measure up and maybe the Lisa Finkel fans will forgive me if they knew that Lisa's adored kitten lady, Hannah Shaw's father and my brother play in the same legendary rock band Sticks. Yes, Tommy Shaw is Hannah's father, and Ricky Phillips is my brother. So hopefully no one will feel like they are betraying Lisa by giving me a chance here today. Now, I don't want to waste one second on an intro from me, so check out episode number 71 back in 2016 if you want to hear Stacy's interview with me. Okay, are you ready, Stacy? Oh, I am so ready, Mike. This is just okay, exciting. Okay, let's go. Now, I went round and around narrowing down what I wanted to ask you today. My curiosity wants to hear more about Stacy playing varsity tennis and squash at Vassar and earning a master's in urban planning from Boston University. But knowing you, I'll try to keep it about improving the lives of cats. Luckily, I can guide CCP listeners to a search on the Community Cats podcast website for episode 0.5. Who knew there was an episode 0.5? Well, there you can learn a lot about Stacy's first cat experiences, her earlier life, and some important things that are really fun to know about our beloved moderator of these 500 plus episodes. Oh, also you can search those Lisa Finkel Ask Stacy interviews and uh, number 52 is my favorite. So, Leading into the first question, I'm getting there, Stacy. Now, for me, it's not only what you've accomplished, which is a lot, but what fascinates me is how, the manner in which you do it. Now, we all have our story, but in the end, when we know all the fun and not so fun facts about a person, what do we really know about what makes them tick? Now, from a very young age, you seem to have been fearless to approach tackling the most dastardly situations and you go about it in a way that enlivens uh, what the, the better angels and the rest of us by bringing diverse stakeholders to the table and hearing them out with no judgment, not sugarcoating the truth about the in, inconvenient, unpleasant aspects of an issue, and all the while, you never lose focus on the best possible approach today for the task at hand 
or side of the ultimate long-term goal. Do you have some mentors to credit with this amazing skill set, or is that just who you are? Wow. So I guess I would say that I've always tried to think outside of the box and try unique things. I will say my father, Dean LeBaron, who is who's just turned 90 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, and is always trying to start new things, learn new things. Still as a 90-year-old, if you ask him to start a, a new company or a new business or a new idea, he's willing to consider it and entertain that oh, idea wow. now. He, uh, Good for him. Yeah, so he really has instilled in me the, the desire to be creative and an outside-of-the-box thinker uh, and, and being respectful of the fact that, that others might have different ways of solving problems than I would. I used to always say when I was working with volunteers um, day to day at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, some volunteers would say, oh, you have to do the cage this way or you have to do the cage this way. You know, you have to have a blue towel to go with a pink water dish or something in. And oh, I was yeah. like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we all brush our teeth differently, but we make sure that the teeth get clean. That's the right. goal, right? So let's- Is the cage let's, clean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's be respectful of that. So, you know, just trying to understand, you know, what what's the base important items here that are so, the basics, you know, let's be focused on those basics and then give us freedom and latitude to be creative and unique. And, and I, I do believe both my parents instilled a lot of that in me. We talked about business at the dinner table all the time. And I'm not so surprised. trying to understand how businesses work and how people think and how leaders think. Both my parents were very involved at the Harvard Business School. So I guess that's just been in my DNA. That's fantastic. My grandmother used to say, uh, don't reduce others to what's within yourself. And... I felt I, I like, wow, even at like 12 years old, I went, oh, God, I'm sure I do that. Every I think everybody's just a little a, a smaller piece of me rather than maybe they know something I have no clue how to comprehend. Well, thank you. That's very enlightening. I'm not surprised to hear you guys were talking about business at the dinner table. Now, I feel like we listeners were so fortunate that your vast experience and gigantic Rolodex of contacts has us eavesdropping while you crunch numbers with researchers, uh, you, you crunch statistics with researchers talking TNR with veterinarians, social workers, computer program designers, behaviorists, politicians, writers, and the list goes on and on, bringing us information that most of us would have never had the opportunity to hear. And often these aren't strangers you're interviewing, but collaborators from across the aisle, as it were. For example, people working with endangered species, animal control and fish and game, um, public officials that have been convinced about the merits of TNR through demonstrated skill, pragmatism, and follow through. Um, was sharing all that experience the motivation for the podcast? Did it morph into that? Or is there some fluke incident that gave you the spark and it grew from there? So when I was at MRFRS, I ran a mentoring program. And within that mentoring program, I worked with 80 organizations to try and help them develop uh, TNR programs at their own organizations. And that was a program that was supported with Brian Cordes when he was at PetSmart Charities. 
when I left MRFRS uh, to actually help care for my my mother who had severe dementia at the time, we had about 400 other groups on my waiting list. And I didn't want to leave those groups behind. One thing that was always so important to me, and it's important to me today, is that if someone reaches out and they're asking for help and they're contacting us, we are going to get back to them in some way, shape, or form, or I will. It's so yeah. important that people don't feel like they are reaching out to Hung out to dry <laughs> to crickets, right? They go, I emailed yeah. and nobody responded. That's just that breaks my heart, honestly. Yeah. And so, you know, in this situation, I felt like I was walking away from those 400 groups. And so many times I would have conversations with folks and I'd be like, oh, I wish I recorded that. You know, it was such a beautiful conversation. There was so much value to it. I learned a lot. And and it's not just me. Others can learn. And so yeah, you're learning mentoring. You're learning a new frame of reference for the next or uh, down the line, a next story. And you can go, oh, hey, I've seen this before. Yeah. Mentoring is just uh, I think the well, I'm going to talk more about the podcast and the legacy of the podcast. But yeah, yeah. one of the episodes with Mike Cahill, number 74. Yep. That's one that I thought was really valuable. He was talking about how microchipping is really the only accepted way to trace proof of a rabies vaccination. Yeah. Uh, an ear tip is is proof of nothing. You know, if you wanted to like pull a fast one and ear tip a cat that hadn't been vaccinated, you know, that the public health department, they're not going to fall for a ear tip. They want to see the vet's record that it was. And with the microchip, you can sometimes trace back to the veterinarian and then proof of a real rabies vaccination and spare a cat a long confinement. Oh, and what, one other interview of all the vast interviews that a real, took a really unexpected turn was number 503 with KJ McGlynn. You're, uh, suddenly you're talking about Reiki and meditation. And I mean, I'm big into yoga and uh, I I just love how the twist sometimes of an interview, because you have lightweight interviews and heavyweight interviews, but even in the lightweight interviews, you know, you're talking about some product or some warm and fuzzy and you tend to bring it around at some point in the interview where the inner teacher of that person comes out and some just fundamental truth that we all know or we share about animals. And I always, I, I never give up on an episode because I know there's always going to be that moment <laughs> where, you know, it's like, I'm not particularly interested in the cat toy or something or other, but I always listen to the end and I go, oh, I knew there was a reason why I, I wanted to get to that. Yeah. I always want to try and find their why, you know, what is yeah. the why and, yes. why and why would Stacey want me to be on their show, right? Right. And and what does it have to do with community cats? And so that's the glue that every yeah. show has to have. That's my requirement is that there's a passion for community cats and there's a why that I would have that guest there. Yeah. And you can always feel that passion in people when they start talking about cats and they do, they get off the script and then they're going and go, oh yeah, oh God, that's your heart, you know, goes out. Now, You've excelled in management positions as a supervisor of paid staff, volunteers, fosters, and I've lost track of how many boards of directors you've been on. I imagine there are a lot of others like myself who sort of fell upward into a management position because we were recognized as dynamic self-starters. But unlike you, we had no previous leadership training 
We weren't offered any training along with the job. What advice would you offer to people with no supervisor or management experience? Is there a podcast interview that I missed or a website or a, a mentor that you follow on face on YouTube or what could you tell us? Oh, well, leadership is interesting. I guess my my main leadership skills were learned actually on the soccer field and on the tennis court and being, you know, captain of a tennis team. I was going to and... ask you, I was sure you were captain. That would have been my Vassar question. I bet you were captain of the tennis team or the squash team. Yeah, both <laughs> as well as the soccer team. And I was always treasurer for my class for six years. And so, you know, I wore all these various hats that I just kind of continued to to grow through and grow into. So, you know, you learning leadership is uh, something that you do just by practice. You get better at it. I've made plenty of mistakes out there and you just it's a it's a practice. It's a practice like you with your yoga. Right. You're practicing it every day and you want to try something new. I don't know the answers all the time. I pretend often, but I don't know them all the time. And I think that it's just having that confidence that it's okay to maybe not be 100% successful all the time. It's okay to try different things. It's You can pivot backwards. You don't have to always be going forwards. It's all okay. Yeah. You said in one podcast, I, I'm paraphrasing, when the answer isn't clear for a given, isn't a straight line for a given situation, you do your best. And, you know, what else can you do? You have a situation and you just try and step up to it. Boy, I wish I knew you way back when I could have used some mentoring. But I will say one thing that I had in my favor, I had a real knack for recognizing and hiring really sincere people. And to this day, I cherish the work we did together for those people that weren't self-starters and, and they really weren't didn't want to be there. I didn't have the skills to motivate them. But I had actually more trouble with my higher ups than I actually did people that I was supervising. I had trouble convincing the people that actually hired me uh, to trust my vision for the program that I was I was doing. And I I was like, I was crushed because I thought, wait a minute, this is so obvious. This is what we need to do. How can you say no to this? You know, and it wasn't always money. It was just a policy or whatever. Um, one one thing I did do is I got the ASBCA to start adopting FIV cats. I went around to every single veterinarian and said, what have you got against us? And they all said, oh, there's no reason. There's no reason. There's no reason. So I went in and we did we did get that done. But yeah, no, leadership is a, a tricky thing. I mean, just because you're equipped to the job, you know, you do need some some uh, guidance sometimes. I was really impressed with Sterling Davis, who seems to be a born leader. During your interviews with him, and I especially appreciate his uh, same team idea and program. Um, everybody that's listening, treat yourself to episode 466 um, for one of several interviews with Sterling Davis. Uh, he's really articulate, articulate on the issues surrounding divisiveness and backbiting in, in the TNR animal rescue shelter community. As Sterling would stress, um, we're all on the same team after all. And 
it can be so depressing when you see colleagues in a grudge war over the ideal age for spay-neuter or some aspect of the adoption policy or volunteers not recycling the cans. Um, these are all very important issues, but Stacy, what do you suggest when it's getting in the way of the common shared goals we can agree on? Yeah. So Mike, you and I, we've had these conversations around yeah. with, with birds and cats and, you know, the environment and working with public officials and trying to get them on the same team and, and understanding, let's start at our base. Um, I have not met anyone out there that is really against spay neuter in general. And so I usually start that as like, that's our starting point. Can we right. mutually agree that offering accessible spay-neuter services is beneficial to the to the cat community in general? If we right. can start there and we can build, and because maybe we veer off one way and we another person veers off another, it doesn't mean we still can't collaborate together. We can't be respectful of each other's desires. You know, if we can just kind of ground ourselves and and be transparent please if you disagree with me tell me i want to know yeah. because if you're telling somebody else behind my back that doesn't do me any any good i respect you for your thoughts your opinions yeah and i i want to know it more than not know it and uh so i think that that's an open and honest dialogue is really what we are at the community cats podcast is really trying to encourage everyone to be willing to communicate respectfully to one another. And some of my interviews, the interview that I did re recently within the last year with PETA, and, and I've also done um, some interview with some breeding organizations trying to get perspective and understanding of where they're coming from, you know, in, in a safe space, just be safe, but understand being willing to listen. Yeah, and I would encourage people to listen to that interview with Ashley Byrne, uh, number 507. I've got them all written down here. Because uh, <laughs> PETA has had a stance against TNR from the very beginning. And it brings up a lot of self-righteous anger in some of us. But PETA has an admirable stance on veganism. And uh, they have other campaigns against wearing fur and fighting for industrial farmed animals. And while many animal rescue workers have a bologna sandwich for lunch and pork chops for dinner, I mean, it really points up how we're all at different points on different paths. And maybe we shouldn't be judging each other to the point where we aren't working together on what we do agree on. Well, and they're also a spay-neuter organization. They have mobile spay-neuter clinics. Oh, yeah. Yes. And so... They they understand that we have a cat overpopulation problem. They understand that we have an accessibility problem. They do understand. And if if every cat out there had access to spay neuter, affordable, you know, we our world would be a different place. Oh yeah, and I uh, in interview after interview, I hear it coming back. You know, neuter, 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 spay neuter. That would we would both. We could both agree totally if we could get enough spay neuter, we could bring come together on a lot of issues. And actually, I want to talk about the uh, the pyramid if we have time for a question about that. But um, I also want to um, I must confess I was with that PETA interview. I was cheering you on when you were right there with the statistics 
about healthy 15-year-old Tianard cats at Newburyport Colony of 300 cats, a colony that no longer exists, by the way, after a sustained TNR project. But you didn't enter. You didn't end the interview with scorched earth. Your approach was respectful and upbeat. I like to think that maybe Ashley went away willing to maybe re-examine that exact same PETA TNR rhetoric that I heard from Ingrid Newkirk over 20 years ago when she was the head of their organization. And it makes me think of Abraham Lincoln's quote, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And um, I, I just like to think they'd look at some of these um, amazing documented proof that TNR, if a colony disappears, the wildlife is protected. But why do we have to make one animal suffer to help another when we can do it humanely and solve the situation? But, you know, I, we're preaching to the choir here at the Community Cats podcast. Yeah. Well, it's not all rosy life for community cats. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that the that Ashley was trying to share was that, you know, there are community cats that have a tough time. And so and so we do have to acknowledge that also and and agree with it. So, you know, they may be seeing the worst of the worst, which, you know, some animal control officers may also see the worst of the worst. And and you you said that with that, the quote from Lincoln, where, you know, I may be looking at the best of the best, which, you know, feeding stations with dedicated volunteers feeding twice a get twice a day and you know one feeder doing rotisserie chicken and sardines and all these other yeah. every sunday morning and it's like it's like thanksgiving for the cats on sunday morning so you know there there is there are gray areas in there i may be on the rosy side they might be on what they're seeing on the the most significant negative side but we're all in general in the middle of the road, right? Yeah, but with the robust support that communities in New England are bringing to the table, those suffering sick colonies that huge numbers, they could be brought up to the same level with support from the community with a program. And so, you know, so they don't have that, you know, that really sad sack colony that's really miserable. They don't have to be that way. If the community would step in, that colony could be just as healthy as one in Newburyport. Correct. That doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Correct. Now, Stacey, I get so choked up when I hear an interview where one of the younger people talking on the podcast is so fully engaged and loving their cat job with all the right answers right on the tip of their tongue. And in some cases, like um, Cameron Grieg, episode 462, he had no prior experience and he kind of just fell into the job, but he hit the job, hit the ground running and he didn't look back. And there's another person that really sticks out, Esmeralda Alvarez, episode 485. If anybody needs to have some faith in the future for community cats, just listen to those two interviews. <music> Looking for the perfect way to unwind and connect with some pretty cool cats? Look no further than the Meow Lounge in Westbrook, Maine. The Meow Lounge is your one-stop destination for feline fun and so much more. 
Step into their cat cafe where you can hang out with a dozen or so adorable, adoptable cats from local rescues just waiting for your love and affection. The Meow Lounge also has games, puzzles, a free library, even a gift shop featuring locally crafted cat-themed items. The Meow Lounge also hosts a wide array of events for you to enjoy. Whether it's yoga, trivia, movie nights, belly dance classes, arts and crafts, or Pilates, they've got it all. So what are you waiting for? Reserve your spot at the Meow Lounge today to experience the magic. Discounted rates are available for students, nonprofits, nursing homes, and community organizations. For reservations and information on upcoming events, visit www.meowcatlounge.com or call 207-358-0003. Are you ready to take your learning to the next level? Get your hands on the only all-access pass to all things Community Cats. The Community Cats Pass with Community Cats Podcast. This one-time purchase will ensure you're registered for all of our full 2024 calendar. That's all events, webinars, and workshops from the online cat conference to the online kitten conference from TNR to surrender prevention certification workshops. Your 2024 Community Cats Pass will ensure you never miss a minute of cat-saving content. Turn your passion for cats into action all year long. Grab your pass today at communitycatspodcast.com. In animal welfare, there's always someone to talk with and learn from. Check in with hundreds of animal welfare colleagues every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern to have your chance at $5,000 just for attending. These 50-minute calls are a collaborative space to share exciting new programs and research, discuss uncomfortable topics, connect with peers in the industry, and more, all while sharing a common goal of preserving the human-animal bond. Go to forum.maddiesfund.org to register now. You can also watch on demand if you can't make it live. Now, I know the podcast is a tremendous help, but what other influences or circumstances do you see that are producing these dynamic young leaders? And how could we help other communities to find those people or promote them or help? I mean, of course, money and city government, but anything come to mind? Well, I, I think um, the creation of the community cap management position within organizations and really trying to professionalize it um, at the online cat conference, we had Brian Cordes from Neighborhood yep. Cats do a session with uh, a, a variety of different community cat program managers and uh, being able to clarify that position. So we're setting everyone up for success rather than just saying, hooray, you're in this new position that we really don't know what it means, but you can be responding to all the kitten calls in your community and, you know, not be strategic and understanding what, what that's about. And so I think that really creating community cat uh, management positions and trying to recruit our young animal welfare professionals into that position and make it I don't know, endorsed, recognized, supported as part of our organizational chart. I think that's a wonderful thing and and give them the tools that they need to be successful. And I would just love to see a young person grow through that position up into the higher ranks in the animal oh, welfare yeah. space. Oh, yeah. I'm with you on that. And what wonderful thing about the podcast and the archives is that, you know, somebody can 
pull something out and experience from one of the podcasts. If somebody and they're, they're talking to somebody in city government and they say, oh, yeah, it would be really great if we could help them. But what could we do? Well, you could do this. Look what this town did and look how they solved it and look at the numbers, look at the statistics of how it turned things around. So, you know, it's out there for people that need to lobby with their city government. So, Stacey, you shared that you were always a compassionate person, but you had plans to become an architect. You also said once that you're not really sure why you put in that application to be board secretary of the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. Do you ever feel like I do that something else is driving the bus? <laughs> well, I, I'm very, I don't know, zen. I try to just sort of travel around the road as it's placed in front of me. But it's interesting, the, the architecture and urban planning background that I have, um, you know, it, it plays a role in understanding human behavior because with the architecture and the urban planning, I was designing projects trying to sort of manipulate human behavior. You know, you're going to put this item of furniture here or you're designing this landscaped garden yeah, this it's a, way. It's a science. It is. It really is a science. And you can make, you know, be, behavior be impactful that way. Um, and so ironically, some of those things that I learned and I and at Vassar with urban planning, there was a lot of diversity. I mean, we would go to prisons for my sociology class. We were going over to Yonkers for research over there. I mean, we were going all over the place, uh, learning about different communities, different environment, working with different cultures, you know, being in, in that case, we were a group of pretty much, you know, white young men and women and um, working, you know, trying to understand different cultures and how to work respectfully in in those environments yeah. and how to support them. And so um, I really benefited from some of those teachings in in going forward. And then, you know, I use the cats are the tool. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound not compassionate here. I love cats. Don't get me wrong. I love cats. But for me, the cats are a tool at improving a community. So, oh, yeah, I was thinking of whales save us. It's the cats are it's it's a vehicle for us to all get our act together, you know, and take responsibility for every part of the community. But the cats are a part of the community and they we need to respond there. Yeah. I mean, by dealing with cats in the community, you're, you're going to meet your neighbors and most people don't know their neighbors. But through the cats, you're going to meet some neighbors and you'll be friendly. I can't tell you how many neighbors I've dealt with that originally hated the cats in the neighbor's yard because they weren't spayed or neutered and they had something going on in their own yard and they didn't want the cats in that yard, get the cats spayed or neutered. And at the end of the day, those neighbors are having a barbecue together. Yes. And you, in one podcast, you said where they went away on vacation, the cat haters stepped up and volunteered. Oh, we'll feed the cats while you're away. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, well, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you that you did become an architect who designed one hell of a feline rescue society and archive episodes that are mentoring thousands of people with experiences they might never have, but for listening to the podcast. You mentioned one earlier, but do you get to hear about groups or situations that benefited because of the podcast, but where you weren't directly involved at all? You don't get to hear about them, do they? Or do they write you emails and say, hey, we did this? 
Well, you know, I mean, it's funny, you know, you ask about organizations. I hear from a lot of folks that they write in and they they listen to the shows and they feel that the shows are extremely supportive to them, gives them ideas on things that they can do. Some people have written in um, and said, you know, they've started their nonprofit because what of what they've heard on on the show. Many of them are still young and they're in their infancy. a lot of the groups in our Community Cats Grants program, we've had almost 200 groups go through our Community Cats Grants program, um, and many of them have certainly benefited from the show and from the the mentoring work that we do during that process, too. So I, I almost think it's too many to talk about because I, I just I love it. I just everybody is great and they're wonderful. And I it's just I don't know. I just I, I'm so proud of of how we all are as a community supporting these cats. Now, if somebody hears this and goes, oh, my God, I need to learn about this uh, mentoring and the grants, they can find it on the website, right? Just search grants or just search mentoring and it'll come right up. Yeah, just scroll to the bottom of the homepage and there's a grants button right there. Right. Oh, I just want to share with people, if you're searching an episode, it really helps to type in episode, hashtag or number and the number and it comes right up. Sometimes if you just put the number or hashtag number it'll you'll get like 17 things with that reference but if you put episode before it it'll come right up so last question stacy if you unexpectedly found yourself meeting a person with the power to say yes for helping community cats where you know whatever level in community or a politician or whatever but they're completely uninformed about feral cat issues community cats tnr what would be your elevator speech to get them to take your card and give you a call? So um, I would certainly say that it's within their power to turn their passion for cats into action. If they are saying, I love cats, I'm supportive. What can we do to help cats? I would say we have two things we need to do, which is first is to provide more access to spay neuter support. And I can share that, share with them ways that they can do that and how they can do it in an uh, effective, affordable way, actually a way that is net zero so it doesn't cost money. It's a, it's a zero balance model, business model from a spay-neuter standpoint. Uh, and then elevating the status of our community cats by supporting them through a variety of different programs, whether it's uh, trapping assistance, uh colony caretaking assistance. They're those supportive programs, but really, it's really challenging to move the needle for cats if you do not have access to spay neuter. And it can be done in a a very uh, affordable way that's not going to cost a municipality, a nonprofit. It will not cost them a lot of money because you can design a program that is going to be net zero. Great. I should have told people to grab a pen and pencil before that. But like all the other podcasts, if you didn't have a pencil and paper handy, you can go into the archive and find this and uh, write down those key points. Because I can't tell you how many times, well, I told you my famous story. It's like I I was, my first like uh, experience with, I saw 75 cats. I didn't even know there were feral cats in this colony. The next day I'm sitting back next to Annabelle Washburn. And she was a she was a well-known person who knew. So it's not exactly the same. It's not like I was sitting next to the mayor, you know, or the head of the city council. 
But you want to have a card in your pocket at all times and you want to rehearse that elevator speech because you might get 30 seconds. But if you can say something like Stacy said, uh, net zero, it's not it doesn't have to cost anything, but we can do this. And, you know, every, every politician wants to have something on there, you know, that they can say, oh, I did this and I did that, you know, and it didn't cost them anything. So, Stacy. Is there a past episode that you would like to draw people's attention to, or is there anything else that came up, came to mind here that you'd like to share to finish off the interview? So I do have to share that I really am very proud of the Community Cap Pyramid. I think uh, it is very helpful for folks when they are trying to figure out a strategy in their community to reduce the number of cats that are out um, out in our neighborhoods. Uh, and I, I think that as individuals and as organizations, we need to bond together to work together collaboratively and strategically to make an impact in our communities. So if you just go to our resources page, there's the community cap pyramid. Um, I also have coined the phrase, the kitten free zone, yeah. um, which is another phrase that I'm really proud of, which in Newburyport, I, we were a kitten-free zone, which meant we had to go outside of our service area to bring kittens in, to put them up for adoption, and to provide those kittens into the community. We are an evolving um, space with regards to how we are dealing with adopting our cats out, how we are fostering them, how we care for them, how do we have cat cafes. There's so many different solutions now um, on how to handle our cats from a TNR standpoint, as well as from an adoption standpoint. I just find it's really fascinating because there's a lot more variety now than there used to be. And I, I really can't wait to see what happens over the next five years to see how things have changed. Yeah, that's great. And I'm glad you brought up the community cat pyramid because I think it's inverted the entire equation so effectively to show how helping the private sector addresses community cats at the source. Now I used to I used to try to get that concept across saying that every new cat that shows up to our neutered colonies is adoptable. They're tame. They were somebody's house cat. I couldn't articulate it better than that, but when I saw your pyramid, I printed it out immediately. And now I use that at any kind of lecture or talk or anything to explain it to people. So definitely do go to the website and search community cat pyramid. It really turns the whole equation on its ear and uh, it's so, so, so helpful. Well, Stacey, I can't tell you what an honor it's been to take your chair away from you for one session, uh, but there's so much I think that we need to hear from you. You've got such a vast wealth of uh, knowledge and you're so self-effacing. I've heard you play devil's advocate and ask a question that you, I think sometimes you you might have given a much better answer, but you're you want to hear from everybody. You're so open. It's just uh, we're just so we're so blessed to have you. I don't use that word blessed. I think it hasn't come out of my mouth for 40 years, but I truly believe it. So thank you so much for everything you do, Stacy. Well, Mike, I want to thank you so much for hosting the Community Cats podcast today. <laughs> Ask Stacy. <laughs> bye bye, everybody. Thanks so much. And Merry Bye. Christmas. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. 
You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.